scientifically trained. Hi guys, welcome back. Thanks for the interview. This is Becca, and I have a lovely guest with me today, and I'm super excited to learn from her and her work. Um, I, and, you know, don't often get the privilege of being able to talk to medical professionals. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys to Vanessa Coppola, who is a nurse practitioner, and she uh, really specializes in uh, non-surgical facial aesthetics and minimally invasive cosmetic procedures. So, welcome to the show, Vanessa. I'm so honored to host you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I love that, um, you know, you have such a unique take when it comes to aesthetics and beauty. And I would really love for uh, to kind of go down memory lane and talk about how it all began for you and when you decided that you wanted to go the nurse practitioner route and all that good stuff. All right. Um, so I would probably say my path was a very circuitous path in, in, in winding up where I am now. And I sometimes think that things that are by chance or happenstance actually work out in the end for a reason. Um, and I just love what I do now. And I'm so happy that I am where I am. When I was really young, I was always really um, intrigued by light and form and shapes. And I think I share that with a lot of my colleagues um, that work in the industry. There's definitely a lot of um, practitioners that um, draw or they sculpt and I as well I was very interested in in sketching and just like the interplay of shadows and light and contrast and then as I got older I was very interested of course you know pre-adolescent you know obsessed with skincare and makeup I was a you know a, a self-confessed obsessive when it came to anything new I was tried everything and had even um, toyed with the idea of becoming a professional makeup artist because I love the way you could change, not even so much change, but really enhance and bring out someone's natural beauty with just you know the application of some contour and some highlight. And so that passion sort of led me, you know, was there as a as a pastime for most of my career. And I actually started out from the business side. Um, I used to work in real estate uh, in New York City, and then I went uh, to software development. So the two fields, uh, somewhat related, uh, but gave me a good business background. And But I always had this love to really do something in terms of aesthetics. And I always had a, um, uh, a fascination with um, scientific studies because I like to read the literature. I always wanted to know the why behind everything even when it yeah. just came to um, cosmetic preparations and the formulations and the ingredients that went into it. So that's sort of all of that gelled together and took me down the road where I entered the field of nursing. And it was just wonderful that I could eventually practice as a aesthetic provider, as a nurse practitioner. And that led me to where I am today, uh, which is I have a practice here in Bergen County, New Jersey. And I get to do what I love every day and learn every day and put on my business hat and my provider hat. And one day is dramatically different from the one before. <laughs> I'm sure many entrepreneurs can attest to uh, being a, a young brand. And so you wear many, many hats. And, and, and so that's really where it started, just a love of a form and shape and 
an, an inquiry and a passion. And I'm, I'm humbled every day by my patients that I can do what I do and help them achieve their goals. And I love to hear their stories. There's always a story. And when you get to know someone so intimately, you really help them become the version of themselves that they see themselves as. And it's a beautiful transformation and it's exciting to be a part of that. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that you um, you mentioned the patient story thing because I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm one of those people that is very, um, I don't get annoyed, but I'm always in, in, in a hurry. So I never really get to hear the whole thing as far as like the complaints and the, you know, but it's, <laughs> I really appreciate um, medical professionals um, such as yourself that really just, you you know, you, you'd listen and, and people can really come and, and, and talk and, and share all of their stories and all of their experiences. I mean, that means so much, right. And like the medical world, because it tells you so much about a patient, you know, especially like there's a lot more, you know, I always say that there's, there's a lot more treating somebody than our patient history. You know, you got to understand like who they are and, you know, what they're about and, all that. So I, I, I love your journey and I, and I want to know, um, you know, this minimally invasive uh, route is something I'm very passionate about because um, a while back I did, it was kind of a rant that I went on by myself on the podcast where I was just kind of like very upset because, you know, like clinicians, uh, we often, you know, we take this approach that can sometimes be too aggressive and it's like, you know, suggesting like Botox to everybody, right? Or like um, fillers to everybody or like just just the suggesting things that are like, you don't need that yet. Or, you know, it's like you can you can find other ways. And also I was mad because I was like, well, you know, give skincare a chance kind of thing, right? So I got off this rant and I, I basically went on air and I was just explaining my my point of view about it. And I would love to get your take on the idea of minimally invasive and wh what you think um, about the current state of this industry and just, you know, just how you perceive it, you know? I, I love that. And that speaks so much to the ethos of who I am as a provider and the basis and the philosophy of, of our brand. It's yeah. really definitely about the individual and not about selling them. There has to be an authentic relationship. Everybody has certain things that they want to achieve and they have something about them that they want to see. And you have to, you have to really balance that with realistic outcomes. I can't tell you how many times I, I speak to patients and they tell me stories of uh, things that they were promised that would happen. And there are just certain things that really can't be achieved. And there's so many things that can. And instead of having the conversation of things that, you know, are 20 steps down the line, I think it's so important to really learn about the patient and their story and just start with the basics. I even do that with my patients with their skincare regimens. And I love that you brought up skincare because I really think that's the foundation. And it's yeah. also maintenance of all of these procedures that we do that could really improve things we have so many for example let's take botox so my husband jokes and calls me the anti-salesperson because i do turn people away from botox all the time <laughs> and i'll say you know well this i don't think you need that you know but but then i'll say but why do you feel like you need that because sometimes it's something else and the person's just not verbalizing it in the language that we know so we hear certain words and we think botox or or something else, but 
for example, for someone that is a candidate for Botox, I always talk about, you know, Botox is going to relax the muscle. It's like the lumpy mattress under the sheet and it's going to smooth it out. You know, and we talk about the way that it works because I, I find so often that patients love to hear the mechanism of how it works. It really helps them understand. And then I always say, I love to talk. So I always say, if this is too much info, you could just tell me to stop. But <laughs> yeah. I always think this is the time to start just a, retin- a retinol because a retinol can work its magic, you know, right now when the muscle's not contracting and reinforcing that line. And there's so, and, and that's a simple thing to do and it could have the greatest effect. And I also talk, I mean, I love skincare. I mean, I, I, I'm just a big fan of certain lines I love and, you know, but I always tell patients, you don't have to start with this. There's drugstore options. And we always make it a point to offer medical grade options and drugstore options. And sometimes really it comes down to a combination of just the right products for the right patient. And the other thing about minimally invasive that I think is important that you touched on is I do see too much excess, even in skincare. I can't tell you how often I'll see someone that will come in with almost like a I call it angry skin. It's like contact dermatitis or chemical dermatitis. Yeah. yeah. Too many products and too many products and they're laying on the on and, and we'll do an inventory of everything. And sometimes I'll say, you know, let's just stop everything for a while. Let's go really just bare bones basic and let the skin recover. And sometimes you have to do that. You just have to let the skin recover and re-epithelialize before you can actually, you know, start on a plan. And And it's interesting what you say about where we are now um, with minimally invasive cosmetics. And it seems as though there's all names for it now because we were all in the pandemic and we were sequestered and we were quarantined and we were all working virtually, uh, many of us. And those of us that weren't working virtually wish wish we were because we'd have a, a ring light to illuminate our tired faces. And (laughs) the phenomenon of the Zoom face and how people would get very upset. And so often I'll grab an iPad and I always, we always try to make it an interactive experience with the patient. Again, my, my, my love of, of things being tactile and, and interactive. And I always explain, you don't really look like that in person, you know, if I take a picture at this angle, my face, it looks like a fishbowl because I'm at a screen at an angle. And there's a, we have a lot of conversation about that the Zoom face is not necessarily how you look three-dimensionally in real life. And you look beautiful, we're all beautiful. And there's a lot of education that goes on with that. And sometimes I'll actually take a picture of the patient at different, uh, like from 12 inches away and then from three feet away and we'll put them together. And all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb that goes off and they'll say, oh, and I I also recommend a ring light a lot for people that are upset about the Zoom face. Again, hence the anti-salesperson rant that my husband, uh, that I'm very proud of. But I think it's important to have those honest conversations, you know, and explain to the patients, you know, what you see on Instagram may not be real. You know, you don't really look the way you think you look in this two-dimensional world and you live in a three-dimensional world and just really to start slow and to to do the least amount you can do, I always say, for the greatest benefit. And then it has to fit your budget and your lifestyle. And nobody likes to talk about 
the money, but it's so important because there are just some, some, some individuals can afford more than others. And to be a really good, I think, provider, you have to be aware of that and not recommend things that don't work with someone's lifestyle. As you know, um, we see that in medicine. If we don't recommend, for example, let's say someone has diabetes, if we don't recommend a diet that's consistent with their eating style that will work for them, they're just not going to do it. And then exactly, so I, I could go on and rant with you about that all day too. No, I love it. I'm just, I'm just listening to you because I, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, it's really, you know, uh, you, you've just touched on so many very, very, very important points, hallmark points actually, because, you know, um, in the field of medicine and even medical aesthetics, I think it's very important to keep in mind, obviously everything that you said, but also keep in mind that, you know, um, people have to resonate with their provider. They have to really connect. And, you know, to form that connection, the provider also has to be very open-minded and to not be pushy and to not, you know what I mean, force options onto people. And that is something that I think we could all learn from, you know, as people who provide medical care to individuals. And I also think that, you know, patients you know, patients that are really, you know, they're going in and they want something done or, you know, they want some sort of cosmetic procedure done. They, I'm not saying that they have low self-esteem, but there's definitely something there that they're, they've been thinking about, or they've been noticing about themselves that they don't particularly are the biggest fan of. Right. So it's like, it's important to uh, give that perspective. Like you said, you know, you mentioned the pictures and you mentioned like, like we have to give them like all different um, angles, you know, for, for lack of better terms, in terms of, you know, this is what you really look like. Now look at yourself and tell me, what is it that you don't like, you know? So it's like it, it, that, that aspect I see very rarely um, in terms of the mentality of not only, you know, nurse practitioners and physicians and cosmetic surgeons, but also just anybody, you know, even like people who are estheticians, they work in a spa. Like it's, it's something that we all have to really, really focus on because our job is to, it's like do no harm, right? Like we learn that, we take an oath, we say, do no harm. And that comes with so many different layers. And it's not just about physical stuff. It's about mentality as well. You shouldn't, don't push someone down a road that you know in your heart that might not be the best for them. Or, you know, like, for example, you know, I just want to bring this up, you know, there's a big problem with people who get addicted to things like Botox, as I'm sure you know very well about, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a very old topic, really, but it, it always comes up and people get addicted to getting these like cosmetic procedures and they get addicted to um, this idea of like, you know, just keep on fixing me, keep on fixing me. And there's this mental health component that comes into mind, right? And so like, we all have to really understand that and keep all of these things at the forefront when we're approaching patients. So I absolutely, absolutely applaud you and agree with everything that you've said. I think there need to be, there needs to be more, um, you know, people who are approaching their patients like you are. I mean, I, I really, really like what you explained. Thank you. And I, I agree with you. I agree. And I, 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 I think I echo the sentiment that you've expressed and a lot of my colleagues have expressed. 
And I say that to, to my patients all the time. I always say, you know, I kind of joke about it. And I say, if someone who sells these things is telling you not to do it, that's definitely advice you should listen to. And I think it's also important, like you said, you really have to get to know the patient and yes. understand what it is that they want. And, and there's definitely, it's a, it's a very fine line between people who want to do these things over and over again, you know, where there's trying to satisfy some need that the syringe is not going to fill, no matter what it is. And then also, you know, the on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's this, you know, getting rid of the stigmata of, of responsible self-care. And that's a hard line. And I always find the patient will really tell you if you listen to the patient, I just think that's so important. And it takes time, but if you listen to the patient, they really appreciate it. People really just wanna be heard and they want honest options they want to know what something's going to entail. Are they the right candidate for it? And I always think we think of the right candidate sometimes in terms of, of, of parameters that are important medically, but really not important to the person as a whole. Like, are they the right candidate? You know, is this something that will benefit them? Will it enhance their natural beauty? You know, will they feel better? Will they like the way they look? Will they be unhappy? Is it something they can maintain? And is it something that they actually need? Is it going to make a difference? You know, yeah. there are some treatments that are high impact and there are some treatments that are low impact. Um, sometimes when we're having conversations like for Botox, for example, there's just so many things you can do with Botox. Sometimes, I mean, medically, right? We use it for spasticity and cerebral palsy you know, yeah. like cervical dystonia, we can try to raise the corners of the mouth, you know, by injecting the DAO muscle. But there's some areas of the, and, you know, I'm admittedly, you know, I think Botox is a fantastic product and can work wonders. In some areas, it's very predictable and high impact. In some areas, you know, you may see an impact and you may not. And, you know, are we going to achieve that? There's a, I have a lot of patients that come to me now for um, masseter reduction. Mm. that there's this sort of um, obsession now with everyone's, you know, using the classic term of the inverted triangle. And I'll always tell people, well, you know, that may not necessarily be the right face shape for you. Or, you know, let's, let's see, do you have TMJ? And if you do, this might, this is just a temporary fix, you know, let's maybe get you to see someone that can make you an appliance, you know, so that you're not grinding, so that you're not having this problem. But we also talk about the downsides of doing something like that, that I think, you know, is important. Like, you know, the masseter, for example, as you know, in surgery, it's a big anchor for the, the gonial angle of the face. And when we weaken that in a young person, it's okay. But as we get to be my, in my neighborhood, you know, I've just approached a new neighborhood this October. So that was no. an interesting thing, but, you know, it can start to, you know, um, promote the formation of jowling, you know, because yeah. that's yeah. so, you know, it's definitely not, you know, one size fits all. And definitely a lot of education is important in terms of really what's right for that particular patient. I think that there needs to be more of that, but that's a positive part of the pandemic. There was so much education because people were, were home. So there was so much education going on. I think that patients really got um, a chance to become empowered consumers, you know, yeah. 
which was wonderful, you know, and they could have a, a good conversation with their provider and for us as well. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's kind of, I want to actually comment on the master uh, reduction uh, as like the, that specific concern that people come with, because this is something I think we really, especially because I have you on and, you know, with our powers combined, I think we need to put this message out there because honestly, let me be very honest and, and transparent. This industry has a habit of promoting things that are not like, it, they don't ethically make sense. Because if you think about it and you know anything about facial anatomy or, you know, anything about facial muscles and their, their work or what they're there for, um, you will understand the importance of the masseter muscle. Okay, it's an extremely important muscle. There is a lot of functionality. There's a lot of reason it is the way it is. And it's um, not something, in my opinion, at least, that we should ever mess with. You know, I, you know, Vanessa, I always say this and I'm, I'm also, you know, I, I'm a physician, but I'm also a researcher and I've always had this mentality and I've always tried to advocate for this idea that the way that we are built and the way that the human body is built is not something that should be fixed. It should be learned from, and we should come up with ways to mimic what's already happening to aid us, not go into the body itself and start like destroying things that already exist. Unless you have obviously like a chromosomal you know what I mean, problem from birth, or you have some sort of genetic disposition for something, or if you have, for example, like, you know, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, or like, you know, something that's really a problem. Like, that's one of my, it's one of my biggest problems with the aesthetic industry, because I think it's not lying that people are doing. It's more of not sharing enough. You know what I mean? Like in terms of education. I completely agree with that. And when you were saying that, uh, a thought, a memory came through my mind of what I say to my patients all the time. I always say form in the body equals function. So like, for example, when, you know, when I'm explaining about how things work and how the muscles work, I'll say, you feel that notch there, that notch is there for a reason, because, you know, there's an, there's an artery and a nerve that are inserting there. And I always say everything in the body has a the form it has a function it's meant to work that way and that really speaks to exactly what you're saying there's there's a lot of a lot of hype put out there about these what we call new standards of beauty that are not necessarily compatible with reality or with i guess the vitality and the the glorification of individual beauty. You know what I mean, if you will? Yeah, yeah. They're not compatible. We're not supposed to be removing ribs to have excessively small waistlines. And body positivity is such a big issue with me. And just the mental health um, surrounding, I, I echo a lot of your sentiments. We actually took our likes off of our Instagram page because I don't think that you know, I don't want to promote something because more people like it. I just want to put good content out there, you know, that's helpful and educational. But I agree with you. The body is meant to 
to work in a specific way and things are there for a reason. And that is the true, the true, the whole, you know, ethos of not my field, but the field of plastic surgery, right? I, I think there was a famous plastic surgeon that said, we give back what God has given, but man has taken away. In other words, we're restoring, we're not altering. Exactly. That's, yes. That's a big deal. And and that's the conversations we have with the patients. Like they'll say, why does this happen? Why are my cheeks coming down to here? And I say, because this is a normal part of aging, because you know, you're losing elastin because you're living a happy life. You have lines because you've smiled and you've laughed. And so these yeah. this is this is the, the, the this is the end result of living a good life. And there are things we can do to restore that, but we don't really want to change. And I think the the semantics of it are important. You know what I mean? Like the the words are important. Words are powerful. And I I agree the language around how we describe things needs to change. Like we can help when you're, you know, we're we're losing bone. We can help to try to support that. We don't want to change anything. You know what I mean? We want to just make the person look like they want they look to themselves and in their eye it's interesting full full transparency this is not an endorsement of a brand but i i really appreciated allergan's new marketing campaign that it wasn't like you know do this you know you know do this you know pump it up make it bigger it was really about the person and how they see themselves and 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 what their life was like and i thought that was so important i mean obviously it's it's a marketing campaign so but I, I liked it. I thought it had a conscience. And I think that um, I think that more conversations need to have, as you said, an ethical conscience. And that the words need to be very specific, not to change or to alter, but to, you know, try to restore or highlight, you know, but not improve. Because there's really nothing wrong with anybody. You know, we all look the way we look because, you know, these are our beautiful bones and they they were put together in a beautiful, you know, symphony of an arrangement that makes us uniquely us. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we have to, that's why I love all the, the inclusivity that's happening now. It was funny. We, um, we were coming up, it, it's, it's sad, but in a business, you still have to think of a tagline, right? You know, you just, yeah. you like have to have a tagline and we went through so many different ones. And I just said, you know, medical aesthetics for everyone, cause it should be for everyone. And, you know, my team's like, that sounds really basic. And I was like, but it is, but it's, it's good because that's what it should be. Sometimes simple's okay. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I mean, I, I like that. And I also, you know, like, it's one thing to like, it's one thing for us to like tell our patients, you know, um, you know, certain things like, okay, well, this is like educating them, right? But it's yeah. another thing to like withhold information too. That's another thing that I really just I really don't like is like withholding information. Like oh, you know, go you're gonna like get going on my rant now. Oh, I'm I'm gonna guess I'll continue. I have a I have a story to tell you for Yes, and, and I would love to I love that because you know, I just want to say real quickly, like for example, you know, let, let's just go back to the masseter muscle, you know. For example, like your masseter muscle for everyone listening. This is one of the muscles that is um, involved in mastication, which is also known as like chewing and able to move your jaw to chew and like break down the products that are in your mouth when you're, you know, ingesting things. And this muscle by itself is not responsible for it. It's one of them and it works together 
with other muscles. There's a total, you know, there's a total of four of them and all of them work together. So when you go into a doctor's office and you go to a plastic surgeon and you say, I want layers of my uh, masseter removed, um, you're what you're doing and what you're actually uh, predisposing yourself to are long-term complications associated with just normal functions of the body, like being able to chew the correct way or, you know, having your jaw move the right way or like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to say that, you know, if you are a medical, like if you're a plastic surgeon out there and someone's coming to you for master reduction or some sort of thing that is, you know, in your heart and your brain and the science that you've learned, you know, that this is something that's tied to a lot of different processes you need to educate you know what I mean put your scalpel down and educate your patient because at the end of the day you like you know you like I said you took an oath and more importantly um there might be other alternatives you can offer this patient that are not going to be as debilitating later down in their years as something like that so yeah that was my rant I just wanted to say that but yeah I would love to hear your story Oh my gosh, it's so correct, especially for TMJ. People think it's a quick fix, but it forms the sling of the movement of the jaw. I always tell people, where does the power differential go? Like when you shift the force, where do they think it goes? You know, yeah. they're, 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 um, the, um, the condyles are not going to survive well <laughs> if they have to pull the load. <laughs> they're going right. to climb down and they're going to look like little pencil eraser heads and not like the pretty bulbs that they should be. But I agree with you. But you bring up something so important, and that is truly informed consent. I always tell patients, this is not a plastic surgery office. You're not undergoing a surgical procedure, but it's still a medical procedure. And you need to know all of the bad things that could happen. And many of them are quite rare. Thankfully, they're quite rare. But I think that fully informed consent is something that is a very important aspect to our business. And also by continuing to do that just gives credibility and confidence to the business. Like You can't go wrong by taking the time to give fully informed consent, even for simple things. You know, yeah. like for example, for Botox, what could happen with ptosis, ptosis of the eyelid, ptosis of the brow, how long does it take, you know, or distance spread, or, you know, why does Botox, um, you know, have certain warnings and what populations does that apply to? And of course, with dermal fillers, the list becomes more ex- extensive and, is getting more extensive. And these things, thankfully, are exceptionally rare, you know, and then there's small complications that people need to know about, like, you know, that this is really clean technique, not fully sterile technique, we're not in a sterile operating room, you know, we put on sterile gloves, and we use sterile gloves. But it's really, it's really clean. And what does that mean? And, you know, what are the complications that could occur, like granulomas and hypersensitivity reactions? Yes. And, and we talk about that and not just putting it on the consent where, you know, of course it needs to be there as well, but you need to have a conversation about it. And and, and then I sometimes run behind on schedule because of that, which, you know, my patients, you know, they're probably not happy when they're the one behind the patient that I'm explaining this to, but... 
I think that's something, that's a pet peeve of mine. When someone comes into me that's had something done so many times before and they say, you know, taking them at their word and they say, no one's ever explained that to me before. And I'm thinking, how could someone, you know, not explain that to you, you know, not, yeah. you know, show you a box of Hylinex and why it's important to have that on hand and to always ask. And I always say, hopefully you'll never go anywhere else, but if you do, you know, these are come, you know, things you want to know in advance before you just, you know, say, do this to me, you know, or even just asking someone what their credentials are. A lot of people don't even ask, especially my younger patients. I'll always say, you should ask me what my credentials are. And they'll laugh and they'll say, well, what are your credentials? And I'll say, good question. And then I'll tell them. But those, those, those things are just important and they help our industry. They just make it better. It's not a, it's yeah. not it's like a win-win and that's so rare in life to have a win-win you know those type of things are truly a win-win well I mean I completely agree with you and I think that also you know just because you have like 50,000 people that are you know um claiming to be you know licensed nurse practitioners and all this stuff doesn't mean that they're all going to be the same so asking credentials is absolutely something I back you on. I think that, you know, like, you know, I always say this and I'm going to say it again. I only invite people onto this podcast that I think are truly experts in their field. And I think that we all need to have a system in place that gives people the opportunity to be exposed, equal opportunity to be exposed to real experts. And I think when you become an expert in medical, anything that's medically related, what I mean by that is not just years of experience, but your perspective and your willingness to expand your knowledge and your willingness to educate your patients and to answer the questions that, you know, they might not even know about yet, you know, but you do know about in the back of your mind, you do know, you know, your education taught you that. So I love that you brought that up and I love that you do this with your patients and then, and that you spend that time because you know what, that's real practice that's called being a real you know medical practitioner that is what you're supposed to do and you know I also want to say this like you know I want to share a story with you because I think you're gonna really understand where I was coming from just literally the other day I posted on um skincare anarchy's reels and I was uh reacting to this uh she's a she's a doctor and you know no no bad vibes sent to her at all I know that she's doing her best and we are all doing our best but one thing that I did not like was she was promoting this cream and I'm really mad at the manufacturer of this cream because one, they they named it very um, racially uh, like triggering, first of all. But second of all, the main reason I didn't like it was they were trying to tell people that the discoloration that comes from uh, acanthosis nigricans is due to superficial skin changes. And I got so upset inside of my heart because I was like, the treatment for acanthosis nigricans, and this is for everyone listening out there, if you have discoloration or darkening of the back of your neck, like the nape of your neck, or under your armpits, especially uh, for those of you who are like, you know, um, more melanated, you need to understand that that is an underlying condition related to things like obesity, prediabetes, insulin resistance, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things there. And the it's yeah. a warning sign. It's a symptom of for needing further inquiry, you know, not yeah. just, yes, yes, I understand. Yeah, and this cream, honestly, Vanessa, this cream was saying, use lactic acid and it'll go away. And I'm sitting there just like, 
are you freaking insane? Like, this is not, no, these patients have a real problem. Like they need to be managed. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's my biggest problem. It's like, you know, the, this industry is so vast and it's so um, like saturated and it's so hard to navigate that it's like, you know, it, it makes me pull my hair out. And that's really the reason I started skincare anarchy was like to try to take some of that away because people are doing things that are genuinely harming them you know and it's just like it breaks my heart every time that I see that every time I am prior to working in aesthetics um and part of uh so a near and dear cause to my heart are as children with um this is a segue but it's related is children yeah no I I want to talk to you about this this is amazing yeah intellectual and developmental disabilities and that's also how I know uh, craniofacial because so many of them you know due to the genetic anomalies they have a lot of craniofacial dysmorphism like you know a lot of cleft palates and Laforts and you know things of that nature that I'm sure you're familiar with and so it's obviously different from aesthetics but it was a good background but it's so near and dear to my heart and I I started this grassroots coalition that I'm hoping to get going uh uh, more robustly it was a little sidetracked with the pandemic but I think it's a good time now it's called the beauty for autism and it's to get beauty brands on board uh, to promote um, not giving me anything but to raise awareness uh, for this population but to your point about to your point in going to Echothinus and nigricans in terms of, you know, what it really indicates and what the risk factors are and that, you know, just boasting a treatment that not only is probably inadequate, but also can be harmful because if it had any slight improvement, you'd be masking an underlying condition that warranted an evaluation like a workup. I would say with this population, the parents of children that have intellectual and developmental disabilities, whether it's autism or, you know, rare chromosome abnormalities or, you know, downs or anything in between, you know, I hate to use the word spectrum because we associate that with autism specifically, but, you know, across the spectrum, they're so desperate for someone to promise a cure. And I would hear about these treatments that providers would offer to these parents. And I'd say, no, you can't do that. And I'd explain why. And I would call the provider and I would say, you know, what are you doing, you know, infusions and chelation therapies and all these things that are harmful and have no basis in science, have no basis in reality uh, of, of any, you know, demonstrable proof of any efficacy, even, even in, in, in the sense of no real even collective anecdotal evidence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's infuriating and, and there. And, and what makes it even worse, which I know uh, you, you feel this way too, is that it's, it's a vulnerable population. And, and, and I think perhaps all those years of doing that made me sensitive to my patients now. But when someone's coming in for self-care because they're probably not feeling too good about something, they themselves are vulnerable at that time. You know what I mean? At that yeah. moment. Whether or not they're vulnerable, you know, in other areas of their life when they're, or anytime anyone's a patient, even for happy things like, 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 you know, skin rejuvenation, they're still feeling vulnerable at that time. It's really just a, um, a responsibility 
to give them honest, transparent information and to direct them where they need to go for things that are out of the purview of uh, medical aesthetics, not yeah. trying to treat something that's truly a, like a medical condition. I yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. And, you know, for everyone listening, you know, it, it, this is truly an initiative that Vanessa has, has really um, taken on. And she's really, you know, in my eyes, you're, you're truly a leader for doing this. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's officially called the beauty for beauty for autism. Okay. And it's an ambassador program. And I, and I really, um, I, I, I'm so like, just delighted to hear that someone like you is doing this because this is something that I think there's very very little education around there's very little understanding around um you know people look at uh people you know individuals with autism especially children and they and they think of oh poor child or poor this or you know but it's like you know there's so many like you said you know I I don't like the word spectrum either you know by the way I I really don't um I, but you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of things that come with autism there's a lot of hurdles there's a lot of um different types of treatment options that you have to consider and approaches and you know obviously you brought up parents and educating the parents so this is really something that is a very very um big feat and the fact that you're taking it on is remarkable so you know um truly my my hats off to you for doing this this is uh you know it's truly beautiful that you're doing this yeah no really it's near and dear to my heart i have a daughter with a rare chromosome abnormality who's a delightful wonderful happy young woman um so but watching her you know blossom and grow is just such a touchstone and you know and it's i always i i i do um I do research as well um, for, um, in addition, um, I do some research uh, at Yale University for this population uh, in terms of the doctoral program there that I participate in. And I loved that I could kind of join my two passions together uh, with Beauty for Autism because they went through a real, um, a real, I guess, question of conscience of my desires, like, and, and reconciling my two passions, you know, because they're both so important to me. I love the aesthetics industry and I love my, my kids. I mean, many of them are adults, you know, but we always yeah. love our kids when, when we're treating them and, and it's just such a nice thing. So thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. So yes, hopefully, you know, that will, will, will continue to grow. And, and I think it's also important to show people that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and, you know, metamorphoses and incantations and, and happiness is, is beauty. And that's really, really the, the, the bottom line. And so many children, they're just truly happy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. Happy. That's <laughs> true. You know, we're not, none of us are, I really do subscribe to the theory that none of us are born to be, you know, hateful or angry or, right. you know, all that. So I completely agree with you. And I actually want to ask you, Vanessa, how can we all support you with this um, new ambassador program? Is there anything that we can do as just uh, consumers and, you know, Absolutely. just, yeah. Absolutely. So essentially the goal of the ambassador program 
is to have beauty brands on board. And the beauty mm-hmm. industry has been wonderful in supporting many initiatives. I mean, I think the work that's been done in the breast cancer arena with the beauty industry has just been phenomenal. Um, we see beauty initiatives with pancreatic cancer um, and, and, and in different mm-hmm. industries. But I think really with breast cancer, it's just been just such a beautiful thing. And I find that there's no real industry that actually supports this population to the extent that it should. So it's yeah. basically just that beauty um, industries, different beauty brands may want to get on board, hold an event on their own where they're raising awareness for this. And it could be anything. It could be expanding their workforce to include, you know, and then we would feature them as an ambassador and then their story would hopefully inspire other beauty brands to continue to grow and so that it would grow organically. I guess um, something to be important to differentiate is it's not um, not a fundraising platform. We're not looking for donations or things like that. We're looking for individual brands to do good acts of expanding awareness for um, 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 young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And that could be by um, diversifying their workforce. It could be, as we saw with some fashion brands, including, um, including you know, children with aut- um, young adults with autism and Downs in their advertising campaigns. It could yeah. be holding an event, for example, like L'Oreal or someone holding an event to raise awareness for this. Um, so we really just want to get it out there that the beauty industry, because I just think it's such a viable industry. And... It, it's some it's it's a commonality among us all we all look at skincare we all read articles about beauty we all buy lipstick and so i think it's a wonderful uh, sounding board to raise awareness for this population and um people they can um, send an email or a dm um, to beautyforautism.com if they'd like information on how they could do something we have um, get started kits on how you can implement changes in your organization. And then we'll feature people as ambassadors and just basically leading by example to inspire someone else. Again, I think you know individual stories and brand stories are powerful and just hopefully it will grow and grow from there. I love that. I really love that. And I hope everyone listening, especially if you're somebody, you know, you don't even have to be a brand. If you're a big influencer and if you have a huge following, you know, I really highly suggest you hop on board. Um, you know, uh, Skincare Anarchy will definitely be contributing. I can tell you that right now. Um, uh, you know, anybody out there, like Vanessa said, if you've got a platform and you've got something that you can contribute and some way to raise more awareness around this topic, let's do it, you know, because autism is something and you know I just want to say this is some of the most magnificent and um you know evolutionary advances in our in our uh existence as humanity have come from people who identify with uh some sort of you know again I'm going to use this word but they are somewhere on that spectrum of autism you know for example uh Ramanujan he came up with so many different equations that were used by Stephen Hawking himself to figure out you know the black hole theories that he was constructing and he was actually on the spectrum as well um you know there have been many 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 scientists many uh you know for example savants that have uh that 
really have this as well. And, and you know, it, this is a very multifactorial topic. So um, I really urge everybody out there, um, let's, let's all chip in, you know, let's help Vanessa really get the word out and, you know, just do whatever we can. And I, and I love that. Thank you so much, Vanessa. This has been really fun and I really enjoyed talking to you. It's been um, very, very, one of those conversations that's very um, soul you know satisfying if you if you know what I mean you know like it really it really resonated with me to hear your perspective thank you I did feel that I felt like it was what we would say kismet I felt kismet which is a great great thing and thank you so much for having me and I love talking with you as well and I feel that way too I feel like this was a really nice authentic conversation and I'm just I'm so humbled and thankful that I got to participate in it of course, of course. No, I, I, it's been an honor hosting you and I, and I absolutely love your work. So everyone, I'm going to tag, um, you know, all the relevant uh, handles in the podcast art. I would love to continue this conversation. So please leave your comments. Um, any questions you have for Vanessa, leave them in the comments. I will definitely pass them along to her and her team. And again, you know, thank you so much for tuning in and I will be back next time.